y'all. I'm Betsy Orton with the Dickey Foundation, and you're listening to Dickey's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. I'm so excited because my guest today is Lori Burks. Now, Lori has actually been with the Rockwall Police Department since 2003, where she served as a patrol officer, a field training officer, and is actually the first female member of the SWAT containment unit in Rockwall. She's also Rockwall Police Department's domestic violence detective and the crime victim liaison, where you help fight for her victim for the victim's rights. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Lori. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wonderful. So for those folks who maybe don't know you quite as well as I do, tell us about yourself and your law enforcement career and really how you ended up where you are today? Well, like you said, I've been here since 2003, so um, almost 18 years. Um, I'm a mom. I have two kids of my own. I'm trying to juggle life uh, and work. <laughs> That's pretty much my job and, and my whole life. Um, I worked uh, I worked patrol for the first 10 years. Uh, like you said, I was a field training officer. I'm a Cooper fitness instructor. I was a crime scene investigator. Um, and then I went into CID, which I just worked detective work. Um, the first year in, I just, everybody was assigned uh, a random order of crimes. It could be burglary, theft, uh, you know, crimes against people. Um, and I didn't really love my job anymore. Uh, it, it was still something that, uh, you know, I came to work and, and did a good job, but I didn't have a passion for burglaries and thefts. Uh, um, I really had a passion of crimes against women, um, specifically, or family violence kind of crimes, um, where, where people are truly victimized and don't know how to get out of situations. Um, and in about a year in, um, we had some, some, high profile, uh, 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 we had a murder out down at the Harbor, um, and a, a guy had come in and shot his ex-girlfriend and a new guy that she was dating shoots both of them in, in broad daylight at the Harbor, um, which is a big place that everybody comes to congregate from all over the Metroplex. Um, so it was really disturbing. We had some things like that, that had happened and, um, spearheaded our department to apply for a grant for a family violence detective that could just work those kind of crimes. Um, we were granted that, and my chief actually asked me, "Would you take this spot?" And I did. Um, it was the best thing that I, the best part of my career, and best career move for me because it was my passion. And maybe he saw that, you know. <laughs> um, so since then, so since through two thousand and four, that's all I've been working: uh, crimes against um, people. Mainly, the first three years under that grant, I worked um, victims over eighteen. Uh, female victims. That was the parameters for the federal grant that we had. Um, and once that grant uh, in our in that position dropped, it didn't drop, um, but we absorbed it. And uh, the city started paying my full salary instead of the grant. Um, I started getting more crimes. So I work crimes, any crimes against family. I work child abuse crimes as well. Um, and, and again, th those people are 100% victims and stuck in situations they don't know how to get out of or don't have capability to get out of. Um, and just helping them navigate through that really, really hits home with me. Absolutely. I mean, that that's incredible work that you're doing. So tell me more about these domestic violence investigations and how you all put these together and how you really help the victims, I mean, put their lives back together and are really a resource for them. Well, I mean, as you can imagine, and, and most people, you know, a lot of people can't, you get in a situation like that um, and nobody gets together to get in a fight or thinks, oh, this guy's going to beat me one day or, <laughs> you know, this, this woman's going to go crazy on me. They don't do that. You know, people get together and they see the good in each other and then the bad starts coming out because we're all human. 
um, and things happen and they can't get out of it anymore. Maybe they don't have financial resources. Maybe they, um, a lot of, a lot of cultures, they believe that if they call the police that we're going to deport them, um, and their kids are going to be taken care of, uh, taken away from them. Um, that's not true, but it, it inhibits them from doing so. Um, well, and I've visited with folks from child protective investigations and they've said something very much the same to that. And since like when CPS shows up at their door, their first thought is they're taking my children away. And that's the last thing that they want to do. Absolutely. They're a resource and we use CPS a lot because they are such a great resource. Maybe there's not so much that the, the police department can do. Um, we, we might put bad guy in jail, but then what happens to that family? You know, sometimes it's left in disarray. Um, mom might not be working. Um, kids are now displaced from a home. They might be in a shelter in a different different area. How hard is that? Um, you know, it's not one string that holds these families together. It's a whole spool of yarn. And if you can imagine trying to trying to take it apart, it's not so easy. So a lot of times our answers, you know, when we as a patrol officer will show up on a scene, we're like, God, a lot of times we've been there. We've been to those houses before and taken somebody to jail and they're right back together. And we're like, What's it going to take? Is it going to take you dying? You know, but what is it going to take? Um, you know, and I, I, I train our all of our incoming officers um, on family violence and strangulation. I, I specialize in strangulation as well. But one of the things I tell them is don't ask somebody why. Why are you still here? Ask them what keeps you here, because that answer is going to tell you a whole lot more than why are you here? Mm hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. And kind of, and what would you tell someone who is kind of in that situation and doesn't know what to do? I mean, to your point, there are, there are folks who are afraid they're, they'll be deported or lose their children if they call the police because of a domestic violence incident. And what, what would you say to them? The police are always here to help. Um, we have limited resources. You know, a lot of times our answer is take somebody to jail. That's, that's our job, right? Um, as a patrol officer, but then we have avenues to help people get other resources. Uh, in Rockwall, we have um, a resource called Women in Need. Uh, Women in Need is a domestic violence resource. Um, they have shelters. They can help somebody walk through uh, a, an emergency protective order process or temporary ex parte. Um, they can get clothing. They can get shelter. I've called Women in Need before and said, hey, I've got a, I've got a victim whose husband is now dead and he, he was he was abusing her, but he's now dead. He smashed her car up. She has no car. She has no money for rent. What can you do to help me? We paid their rent that month and they got her a new car. Those are resources that people don't even know that are there unless they're asking. And maybe a, a normal patrol officers aren't going to have an answer of that, but they'll have a pamphlet for domestic violence resources. Use those phone numbers that are on there because you might call and that person not be able to have an answer, but they'll have another navigation of, these are the people, this is what you need to do, or this is the person you need to call. Yes. I mean, you're connecting them with those great resources. I mean, and so often, I mean, you, you are seeing so much, so much doom and gloom, um, but then also being able to help and, and get them those resources. What, what do you find to be the best part of, of what you do? When, when I have a victim later on that comes back and really is just, they have a whole transition of life. Um, and can say, you know what, I got out and I'm better today because you helped me or because Rockwell Police Department helped me. And I didn't think I would ever get out of that situation. And I've had, you know, I've had victims that have transitioned from one bad guy to another. Um, and, and I tell them, we need, we need to fix you. We need to fix what's in you. You need some counseling, you need some help. 
um, to recognize red flags and to be able to say no and to establish boundaries before it gets to the situation where people are going to jail. Uh, Women in Need is, is great about those resources like that. And uh, one of the things I always recommend to, to victims um, is a counseling resource and it's a, it's a group counseling, so it's a round table. And I'll tell them, you know, you think you're in this situation all by yourself because you kind of am in your little, in your little hole, right? Um, go to these counseling sessions and just listen. You don't even have to talk, but just listen. It's eye-opening for you to realize, wait a second, it's not just me. I'm not the only one that's, that's involved in this kind of thing. And, and I didn't create all these problems either. Um, to see and to hear that other people are struggling with the same thing, because we're all prideful. We, won't, we don't want to admit that we're struggling at home. We don't. Um, but to hear and see that other, other people are, it makes it go, huh, okay, one, one straw off my back. All right, how can I get out? How can I not do this again? How can I be stronger next time? Well, and I think there, there's kind of that safety in, in the shared experience and the collective and to, to what your point, that you know that you're not going through something alone. Yeah. Well, and kind of to, on a similar vein, kind of being part of law enforcement and having, you know, really a brother and sisterhood there. I mean, you all are obviously not going it alone, but I think particularly in the last year or two, we've seen a lot of things that have happened with, with police officers. Um, and kind of what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about law enforcement? I mean, you've been, you've been in the career almost two decades. And so obviously you've probably seen things change, but what do you think has kind of been misunderstood over the years? Um, I think that people don't understand law enforcement and, um, they all think, you know, we're just, we don't, sometimes we don't come across as personable and as human. And we are, um, we go home and take that gun and badge off and you, their moms and their dads and their people just like you. And people don't see that when they see the uniform, whether it be fear instilled or just the persona of that officer, they think that's all they are. And they are so much more. So what would you tell someone who was thinking about going into law enforcement? I know we were talking about the fact that you have a, have a son who is thinking about law enforcement. So what, what would you tell your son or someone else who was interested in going into law enforcement? Um, yes, my son is 20. Um, he has been saying since he would, could probably talk, he wanted to be a police officer. Um, and, you know, you guide them. Um, they, they listen to stories and they look, they're little sponges. They listen to so much more than you even realize. <laughs> um, but he, he has had a passion and um, it hasn't gone away. So he's halfway through college and that's still what he's going to do. Um, I tell him, you know, the, the world's a different place than it was 20 years ago when I got into this. Um, but is it, I, I still believe it's the most noble career in, in the world. And I'm never going to discourage somebody who, who has that passion and that drive. What have been the biggest changes that you've said you've seen? Because you said it, it is a different place than when you started 20 years ago. It is. Um, and I, I contribute a lot of the issues to social media. And, um, you know, there's there's a song and it's a country song and it's like breaking up in the 90s. I think it's a Sam Hunt song, right? So it, it's, it it's is. Breaking, I think I have that on my phone. Breaking up in the 90s. <laughs> and I tell um, people that sometimes, too, because like. When I was going through high school and you broke up, you were done. You didn't have to see pictures of the next person with that person that you loved. That sparks a lot of issues, domestic violence kind of issues that I deal with, like stalking and stuff like that, wow. right? Um, but in the 90s and the early 2000s, you didn't have that kind of the, the social media that everybody's putting out there and everybody's trying to make look, themselves look perfect. So, so the person that you breaks up with you or you broke up with now has to see that. And, and repetitively see that. I, I think social media has been 
why so much domestic violence has picked up. Well, and I guess I would be kind of really curious about that. I mean, you said kind of the stalking that it goes along with that. I mean, people, people do go to Facebook and look up their ex or something like that, or follow them on Instagram and things like that. So, I mean, kind of tell me a little bit more kind of how social media is, is, is really, unfortunately you said it seems to be causing an increase in domestic violence. I believe it does. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a tool that they use against you. Um, a lot of times victims don't even realize that, that social media apps will tag their location. Or if somebody's kind of a little bit off and just not disgruntled um, with a breakup and, you know, if somebody goes out, the, ne- the other pers- party goes out, out on, out on the town with a friend and then that friend takes pictures of them and then post it. And I mean, it's they don't understand the ramifications of all those things if they're truly being stopped. Um, and I tell them, shut down, make sure, shut down your social media or make sure that everything's locked down as pos- as much as you possibly can. Make sure people aren't tagging you. Um, because all I've got to see is to, if your profile's open and your friend has tagged you in something and now I see you're at Deep Ellum at a bar in Deep Ellum and it's Saturday night, I might show up there. It's not hard. That's it's scary. not rocket science, but it's very scary. Can you tell me about an experience that you've had kind of in your, as a law enforcement officer that that's really kind of touched your heart and maybe one that also really changed how you do things? I mean, you, you've clearly seen a lot of things uh, during your career, but kind of experiences that you've had. The, the one that has stuck with me a whole lot, um, a, a girl had broken up with her husband, um, three kids. They'd been together eight years. Um, she moves to our city trying to get away from him. A couple cities over. He was very, very controlling and he started trying to stalk her. She didn't have any social media. She was really good about some of those things, but she was the kindest, sweetest girl. She really was. Um, And he would call, he would FaceTime the kids. He would trick her and FaceTime the kids. The kids would get on FaceTime and he'd start looking at the, at the surroundings and then trying to figure out where she was because he didn't know and she wouldn't tell him. Um, It took about three months before he figured out where she was. And then he started following her. She had went and spent the night um, and and she filed a report um, with us and I talked to her. And then I I had went to some training about stalking. So I I called her back and I said, hey, if you can come back in here, we're going to go over some things. There's some there's another avenue, I think, that maybe, you know, you overlook stalking as as a as a police officer um, or we certainly did way back then. Um, so she went and spent the night with a friend, um, comes out the next morning to get it. She, she, in the, between the time that I talked to her and, uh, the time that she was supposed to come in, cause she tells me on the phone, well, I got a new job and I can't come in. And I was like, okay, well, how about, how about a weekend? How about a Saturday or a Sunday? I really think that, that we should talk. So we agree. This is like Tuesday. We agree to meet on Saturday. Um, Wednesday morning, she sends me an email and says, hey, Detective Burks, um, I, I'm okay, but something happened with Stephen that that I think you should know about. I'm off on Wednesdays. And I responded to her and I said, hey, tell me, tell me what's going on. I don't work today, but maybe we can navigate through this or I can point you in the, in the right direction. Um, that's early in the morning, around eight or nine. She doesn't answer me again until noon. And she says, um, Steve been hit in my, in my trunk. Uh, when I got in the car to go to work, he came out of the trunk. He's assaulted me. Um, he drove me to my home, got, let me get changed. Now he's driven me to work. He's driving around my job, telling me he's going to wreck my car. The car mattered to her. Um, so I'm like, 
emailing her right back as soon as I get the email. And I try to get her, give me a phone number. Where are you working? Because um, I knew she had just gotten this job. Uh, she didn't answer me anymore. So I knew that she had involvement with CPS in that other city. Mm -hmm. So I called CPS and I'm like, I need a phone number for her mom. CPS gets a hold of her mom. I get a hold of mom and tells me the name of the job she's working at in Irving. Um, in between the time I get a hold of the job and she does email me back, she ends up calling me from a work landline. Um, she was afraid to call me on her cell phone or send me a text message or anything like that because he had her phone in between the time they were driving from Rockwall into Irving and he was going through the phone and every time he found something he didn't like, he was punching her. Um, she was afraid that he had put a software device tracking thing on the phone. So she was afraid if she sent any text messages or made any phone calls, it would let him know. She tells me what happened to her. She had basically been kidnapped and sexually assaulted, uh, which made aggravated kidnapping. And um, he was driving around the business and telling her if, if you, she got off at 4.30 at that point. If you, um, you know, if something happens, we're, we're going to finish. He handed her the phone and he said, we're going to fix our relationship today or else. She was afraid. Very, very afraid. Um, so I come into work and I'm like, you know, I had been to the gym and out mowing my yard. I come in and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm not dressed for work, but this is what I got. I got a problem. Um, I figure out what, what, what kind of crime I have. I write a warrant for it. I get a hold of a district judge. I get it signed. And then um, I contact Irving PD who ends up finding him before he got back to her. That story stuck with me because she was such a sweet girl and she didn't really understand the ramifications of the things that he could have done to her. When she does come in, she did come in to interview with me later on. She had bruises all in her hairline behind her ear and on her, oh. on her biceps because she was driving. Because when he kidnapped her, um, he climbs out of her trunk and um, she stops the car in the middle of the road, runs down the service road. He chases her, grabs her, throws her in the car, and he says, you're going to drive me to your apartment. So she's driving, and that's he's going through her phone. And every time he found something he didn't like, he punched her in the head or like in the arm. So she still had all of those bruises. Story didn't stop there. I mean, he ended up getting out of jail, and then uh, he had a monitor on him so I could, look, you know, check his location. Um, if he came within the parameters like 100 feet or 100 meters of the victim or the children, anything like that, um, it let me know. Wakes me up at 3.30 in the morning one morning because he had cut it off. The GPS device, which is a, a, a great monitoring system for them, if it cut, if it gets cut, which is what he did, um, it'll send a tampering alarm. It sent a message to her and then it notified my cell phone. So it woke me up in the middle of the night. I called work. I'm like, what's going on with this guy's you know, device? They're like, well, I don't know. We haven't gotten any notification from the GPS company. So I came into work and I called the GPS company and they, they said, well, it could just be, you know, malfunction. Something stood up on the back of my head and I was like, no, something else is wrong. So I took a chance and I called his phone and he answered the phone. He was drunk. <laughs> he was coming out of Oklahoma from a uh, casino and uh, he said, I, I was done with this device. I cut it off. He luckily knew how much money it was to if he tampered with it or damaged it any further. So he kept it with him because you have to pay for one of those devices. Uh, he kept it with him. So I was able to write another warrant for him and uh, locate him again <laughs> where he went. 
And I went and had, you know, officers go and arrest him again. So he's continual arrest and then... Yeah, but I think we ended up charging three or four ended up at the end because uh, he tried to tamper with her. He did all kinds of things. Um, again, she, she was such a, a kind-hearted girl and she had been in that situation for so long and didn't really understand it. I tell people, you know, you got to see the forest for the trees. Sometimes when you're in the middle of a situation, you're just trying to get through one day at a time and you don't really see all what's going on until you have time to step out of it. And then you're like, oh man, that's really bad. So she had enough time before, you know, to step out and then go, that, that was messed up. My biggest goal is that kids don't repeat what they see. And if kids see these things forever, you know, for their whole childhood, that's, that's mom and dad's norm. And that is what will be their norm. If we can stop that, then we've done something good. Absolutely. I mean, and, and what incredible story that, that that is and that you you're able to help her and help families and and really, really help children. And knowing that that helping people has been such an important part of your career and knowing that you're involved with the police association there. And talk to me about why giving back and, and helping people is so important to you. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's something that <laughs> that I grew up with. I, you know, I don't know. But giving back is, you know, this life isn't about us. It's about a legacy and what we leave behind. Um, and making it better. Well, it sounds like you're definitely making it better for so many people. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So kind of who would you, who would you describe as kind of two or three people who've really made things better for you and really made a difference in in your life? I have strong parents, um, you know, strong in their faith. um, And, and, you know, my mom is probably the most strongest female personality I've ever met. (laughs) 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 She is, um, you know, they, as a kid, they were hard on us. Um, but it made us so much better, you know, life wasn't handed to us on a spoon and, but that was okay because we learned how to get it. And, um, you know, I put myself through college. Um, you know, I started the police, police department. They, they actually finished paying for my college degree for me. You know, nobody gave me anything, um, but they gave me good roots. Well, that, that's that's cer- certainly such an important thing. I mean, I know family is important. I know family is important within Dickies. St- we're still a family business, and sure. so so for us, that that's certainly important. But what what's kind of the most important thing that you've learned in, in your life? Obviously, you've you've seen a lot of things and and met a lot of folks. What what's been the most important thing that you've learned? That you have to give people grace, um, and and you need to understand where they're coming from, and it's not about you; it's about them question because I, I i've heard other other law enforcement talk about giving grace which is a one which is a wonderful thing and i do think that's so important how how do how does that reconcile with being in law enforcement and quite frankly so many times you are showing up on someone's worst day whether it is a victim or a perpetrator whatever that may be kind of how do, how does that factor in um we don't make the law we just enforce it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> right absolutely um and we're required to enforce the law um that that is before us uh but we're all here for the same reason and that's to make um, the world a better place and to do good um i don't know anybody that got into law enforcement thinking wow i want to be you know i'm going to be big badass that's not that's not at all what we're doing um or i don't know anybody like that you know we're here for the the bigger picture so so what's next for you you've been on you've been on the force for 20 years and you're still still certainly young and not not right coming up on retirement age but what what's next for you you know i i don't know i i still enjoy what i do every day um you know i've, I've 
considered testing for sergeant and promoting, um, which is certainly something that I want to do. My youngest is too young for me to do it right now because in Rockwell Police Department, if you promote to sergeant, you have to go back to patrol. So I have to work shift work, um, potential to work 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I can't leave her all night. <laughs> no, that, that doesn't work. That's they call, they work call for the me. cops for things they like do, that. They do, yeah. Weird and like she that. would be afraid, but, you know, <laughs> rightly so. <laughs> so, you know, that that's not in the immediate future. I, I speak at events. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty active in our community. I coordinate a, what's called a Santa Cops for Kids event every year that mm-hmm. we do. It's a 5K um, that we do in um, in in a not in Christmas, in December. (laughs) (laughs) And all of the proceeds for that event goes back to the Children's Advocacy Center, um, which is a 501c nonprofit. Um, We've done it five years in a row and and raised right at $100,000. That's remarkable. That's a lot of toys. (laughs) It's a lot of toys. It's a lot of counseling for kids that need it. You know, it's open doors and, um, and forensic interviews and, um, like I said, counseling and all of these things that kids need once they've been involved in some kind of, um, traumatic episode or situation. And, um, you know, that way it can be for free and it can be provided to those families that do need it in in a resource there that we didn't have for a long time. Absolutely. I mean, we've got several children's advocacy centers for various counties in in the Metroplex. And I mean, the work that they do for for helping children, for helping families really is remarkable. And so I imagine you've worked pretty closely with the various children's advocacy centers. Yes. um, So Rockwell County didn't have a children's advocacy center for many years. And, um, you know, just crime itself in the world has increased so much. Um, We would, uh, if we had a victim in Rockwell who was a victim of, of some kind of situation, and we needed a forensic interview, um, we would contract with another county. We'd, we'd have to coordinate and arrange for, for that family to meet us there. Um, and then we'd get a forensic interview done. Um, but there's so much more to the healing process than just that initial interview. And we weren't able to offer all of those, those resources. Um, and our district attorney, Kendra Culpepper, um, kind of spearheaded, wait a second, we need we need to do this because we were doing an injustice to our to our citizens almost, um, not allowing and providing resources like that. Um, so I guess it was 2015 around, um, we started getting together um, a, a group and a table and a committee. Okay, this is what we want to do and how do we do it? Um, and one of the things was let's do fundraisers. Who knows anything about fundraisers? I knew nothing about fundraisers, but I was like, I run five case. I run five case, so maybe it won't be hard. Um, and so that's what we, as our Rockwell Police Officers Association, decided to do is we would I would figure out how to chair a five k and arrange that event. And so that's what that's what we did. So five years later, here we still are. Um, but it's been it's been more than just that. It's been about awareness. People don't understand the situation and the things that kids go through. Um, if you're not in it um, and you've never seen it yourself, uh, the average person just knows what they're doing. Um, they don't know what, what the neighbor next door is going through and they don't understand the resources that you need to be able to provide full healing for something like that, which an advocacy center does. Absolutely. And, and like you said, the, the work that they do is, is amazing and, and really helping children and helping families. Absolutely. So, yes. So thank you for thank you for raising money for that. That, that is a wonderful thing as a fundraiser. I love it when I see other folks that are that are doing fundraisers and mm-hmm. helping out. So that's remarkable. So question, if you could step into my shoes and ask you a question, what question have it, would it would would I ask? Because I haven't that I haven't already asked. What drives you? 
Okay, what drives you? There we go. <laughs> I think showing my kids that that there's so much that people can do. Um, I'm not in a glass box. Um, there's no glass ceiling. And, um, you know, this is 2021. You can do whatever you set your mind to do. That is one thing I remember my dad saying as a kid. You can do anything you set your mind to do. And I was the youngest child and the only girl. And, man, that <laughs> stuck with me because he was he was right. That's that, absolutely so true. I think my parents told me I could be anything that I wanted to be when I grew up. Absolutely. I think I wanted to be a lion until I was about seven because I didn't realize you couldn't change species. But, uh, you know, I mean, it really is, you know, that's, that's what happens when you tell your kids to dream and want to be anything they possibly can. Right. So They don't know, you know, they just keep going. And, yes. And, yeah. You know, we're not lions, but we're no. lions taking we're care lionesses. of us. Lionesses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, at the end of our interviews, we always kind of like to flip it over to Dickies. And I've got to ask, what's your favorite Dickies beat and favorite side? Um, I eat turkey. All right. <laughs> so I love their turkey um, and in the green beans. Okay, green beans. All right. And we go into our lightning round. And I've got to ask, you know, if you, I'll get to give you two choices and you tell me which one you pick. Okay. All right. Barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Jalapeno. Sweet or unsweet tea? Uh, sweet tea. All right. Chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Sliced. All right. Sauce or no sauce? Sauce. All day. Brisket <laughs> or full pork? Uh, brisket. I don't eat pork. Okay. All right. Well, then I think I know the answer to this one. Ribs or wings? Wings. All right. Wings. Well, thank you so much, Lori. I so appreciate you giving us some time for, for Dickie's Doing Good. We so appreciate everything that you do uh, for the citizens of Rockwell and the folks across North Texas. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.